Please note, nothing in this podcast is or may be construed as medical advice of any kind. As explained in the medical disclaimer section of One Hit Away Foundation's website at www.onehitaway.org, we are not doctors, therapists, or health care providers. We act only as a source of information that you may choose to use in seeking actual health care services from licensed health care professionals. Hello, and welcome to One Hit Away Foundation podcast series. I'm Darren Siedibaka and the co-founder of One Hit Away Foundation, which is the only nonprofit organization in the country that is dedicated to brain healing and brain health of sports-related concussions. And I got to add, also, sub-concussions. If you're interested in learning more about brain healing treatments for sports-related concussions, this is the right place, and we thank you sincerely for your interest. Also, sports have been a part of your life, then you know that everyone is just one hit away from a sports-related concussion. Yep, that invisible injury that is plaguing today's athletes and their families. Today's title of our podcast is Brain Healing, Why Does It Matter to Actually See Inside the Brain and Understand the Concussed Brain While Treating It? Today we'll be having an informative, what I call, Brainiac discussion with Dr. Daniel Amina about the importance of both psychiatry and spec imaging in treating sports-related concussions. Let me share with you a little bit about Dr. Daniel Amina. He is a child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist who earned his medical degree from the University of California, Los Angeles School of Medicine, and completed his general residency in psychiatry child adolescent fellowship at the University of Hawaii Department of Psychiatry. He uses dynamic as well as cognitive behavioral therapy, interpersonal psychotherapy, family psychotherapy, and works to integrate pharmacotherapy and alternative therapies to optimize brain health and function. I gotta say that's a lot of therapies. <laughs> he is experienced in anxiety and mood disorders, addiction, ADD, ADHD, impulsive disruptive behavior disorders, autism spectrum, psychotic disorders, OCD, PTSD, and of course, TBI. Dr. Danny Mina practices in, at the Amen Clinics in San Francisco Bay Area, and in full disclosure, is also a, a member of the One Hit Away Foundation Advisory Council, and we have been so proud to have that privilege him to be a part of what we do and give us great advice. Welcome, Dr. Amina. Hey, thank you, Darren. I'm so glad to get this opportunity to uh, take part in this podcast. I've heard about it, and I'm uh, so excited about today. Right on. It's going to be fun. So let's get right into it. You know, I got to start for the audience to kind of put this in perspective about what actually you do and why you do it so well. You know, a broken arm, for example, gets x-rayed to see where the break is and how to set the cast. Pretty simple, right? Yep. Well, you and I know that the human brain traditionally has never been looked at in the same way in, that, in the practice of psychiatry, which we're going to talk about. And as you know so well, it has been diagnosed with monitoring and measuring the individual symptoms, then taking and tweaking the prescribed drugs along the way to minimize symptoms. Seems like a pretty harsh reality to the most important organ of our body. Mm-hmm. We both understand the purpose of CTE, I mean CT, CAT, MRI scans, but to actually identify where the damage is in the brain by identifying those areas that have what we call lack of proper blood flow, it seems to be the difference maker and starting the brain in its proper healing program. Isn't that what SPEC imaging is all about? Uh, most definitely, and I'm excited to actually discuss SPECT imaging and its utility for looking at the brain, especially injured brains, and how it's 
actually shows to be better in, in the studies than CT and MRI in picking up old head injuries. Well, let's talk about it. Let's get mm -hmm. right into it. How long has spec imaging been around? And then is it safe? Oh, excellent question. So spec imaging has been around for a while now, actually since about the 60s. Um, they, it's continued to be improved over those years, and we did not start utilizing it until um, early 90s here at the Amen Clinics. Uh, Dr. Amen had an opportunity to sit in on a lecture, saw SPECT and its potential utility in, in psychiatry, and thought, wow, this is amazing. He started using it, he started seeing benefit in it and how it directed his cure, and then in the context of that, started noticing that some brains didn't look so good and eventually correlated those brains that didn't look so good with head injuries. And it also matched with the research and what the research had been showing that certain patterns of injury would show up on a spec scan. Now this started to impact our care and the care we delivered and I'll talk about that a little bit more, but it's been a powerful tool and we've continued to use it over the years and evolve its utility. On the question of safety, um, very safe. It's it, most things that people look at is is the radiation. Do you get mm -hmm. exposed to radiation or such? Yes, you do. It's about the same as maybe getting a CT. Um, and remember, if that's you, a CT, CT exam? scan. Oh, right. Okay. So it's about the same as that. Um, you you do get a, an IV, but it uses a tracer that is uh, basically hypoallergenic. So it's not like a MRI tracer that the type of uh, contrast they use there. So we're not worried about kidney stuff or allergic reactions and such. Um, so it's a lower amount of, of radiation, about a CT, and you can get up to uh, two or even four of those a year in complete safety. So there's not there's not been any studies that have shown increased risk for cancer or anything from getting these scans. Well, I, I've had a brain spec image, and so did my wife, and obviously you know Brett, my son, uh, that we founded this because we did that. This is what kind of led us to led us to found One Hit Away because we wanted to have the opportunity to access this tremendous database. In fact, through the Amen Clinics, you guys have the world's largest database of brain scans related to emotional, learning, behavioral, and functional problems. I mean, how do, that's got to assist your work with your patients. How does that How does that help you? Oh, I'm so excited about this. I mean, I came on the Amen Clinics about five years ago. One of the reasons I came on was I was just excited about that database that you're, you're discussing right now. I think around then we were about 100,000 scans. Now we're about 150,000 scans. Wow. That directly impacts the work I do. So the work I learned, my training did not include this uh, piece of, of, of looking at the brain during training. Hmm. Not all of that. All med school, all residency, you know, it was very uh, rare occasions that we'd actually would do an MRI or something on a client. So learning about this potential of being able to actually look at the brain and then from that helping direct my treatment plan, I was blown away. Um, in the five years I've been here, I've, each subsequent year, my ability to understand scans and then create treatment plans has continually improved and increased. Um, it's, it's huge in what it can do to not only help a client destigmatize whatever symptom they may have been coming in on, coming in with, but it also just helps clarify why we do the things we do as far as supplements, medication, mm -hmm. or, or diet, or exercise. Um, we all need a picture. We all need a reason. And being able to actually see your brain and saying, hey, this is a part that I need to work on. These are the parts that are great, excellent. Now let's see if we can boost these other areas and there's a treatment plan to do it. It really can light people up and motivate them. So I've really loved using this tool. Well, you just, you just touched on something that I got to hit. I mean, mm -hmm. understanding what you just said, I got to ask the question, 
why are psychiatrists, thus your colleagues, mm-hmm. in outside the Amen clinics, the only physicians who rarely look at the organ they treat? And, and to keep that question in mind. Mm-hmm. I understand, you know, that is clearly the only organ in the body that's treated without actually looking at it, from what I understand in our, in our history. Put that into perspective. That's very wild. Why don't they do this? So this, I'll give you the short answer. Okay. Because okay, it's actually a long answer in many ways. There's a historical piece to it. There's, there's, and, and I'll actually start with the historical piece. Um, all psychiatrists in many ways began as neurologists. Hmm. Like the field of psychiatry was basically the field of neurology. Uh, the divergence starts to, started to happen when psychiatry focused more on the behavioral side, the mood side of things. And neurologists continue to go down their way, um, which would more focus on things like neurological disorders, like uh, even dementias and MS and things like that. Um, For psychiatry, we started to work on uh, psychotherapy as our intervention. So there was different psychotherapy styles and behavioral models that were created over the 20th century and such. In those, we had nothing to really tie it back to the brain. So we just continued to develop that way. At some point, we learned about medications. And we saw that medicines could have changes and be, lead to changes in behavior, but we couldn't. We didn't really know how it tied into the brain. So again, we still didn't look at the brain. Hmm. Um, over the last 20, 30 years, we've increasingly increased our knowledge on the brain, just as a field and as in a whole. But often, the way we described our medicines working was basically we don't really know. It's chemicals, it's chemical imbalances, changes in certain things we have slowly started to increase our knowledge just in general in psychiatry and and that is slowly starting to bring us back to the brain and this is why there's actually there actually is research of psychiatrists who do look at the brain you can go to these national there's a lot of publications on SPECT on MRI fMRI on the brain and and its connections potentially on how you create treatment plans and all this but we're a slow moving uh, organization in some ways and Dr. Amen saw that. Um, it's actually one of the reasons he said, um, why are we just taking so long to put an, an intervention into play that may be able to help clients now? And that's why he started doing 1991. Mm-hmm. And then from there, he's, he's, we've just gained more and more knowledge, which now even helps us help people even greater than what we could have ever imagined. So is psychiatry moving this way? Yes. Actually, if you look on almost any website of these large institutions, there's a lot of places now that are starting to image the brain. They still do it under the, the, the experimental or research side of things, but it is happening. You can go on Stanford's website. They have a precision psychiatry department. They image the brain. Uh, they do some labs and other things, psychometric testing, even genetics, and then they're talking about types of depression now and, and types of anxiety, things that we've been talking about and Dr. Amen was writing about in the, in the, in the early 90s. Uh, and this came out by them actually starting to look at the brain. So psychiatry in general is moving there. Um, we've just felt that we needed to help our clients earlier. So we started looking at it much earlier. So l- let's take it, let's put it in the hands of our listeners for a second. Because mm-hmm. there are a lot of listeners who are saying, okay, I'm underneath the traditional method at the moment. What, mm-hmm. do, what do I do? do I, will I offend my current uh, doctor by asking him if I can get an image? I mean, how would you ask clients or your these people who are underneath traditional methods to to get progressive on this top topic so um, first it's all about education okay there's some docs 
the way we are as doctors, we go into this training. Some docs really continue to love to learn and adapt and change. Some docs get stuck in their ways a little bit. Mm -hmm. Okay, you get comfortable doing what you do. It, it's hard to get to that point of knowledge, and then you don't necessarily want to change too much. Mm -hmm. Uh, so you have to kind of keep that in mind. Some docs are very open. You come up to them. You say, hey, what do you know about this? What can you teach me about this? If they don't know, you may have to go do the research yourself, actually. Mm -hmm. You may have to uh, read a book by, like, Dr. Amen, Change Your Brain, Change Your Life, just to get a sense of how brain behavior networks work. Okay? That may en enlighten you and make you want to look at your, your scans, or it may at least just give you a better sense of how your brain is working and natural ways or mechanisms to, to help it work better or even at minimum helps you understand why your psychiatrist may have suggested a particular medication for you. Um, I often see that clients may have had a useful tool to treat whatever symptom they were coming in here for, uh, but they didn't understand what it was supposed to do in some ways yeah. or how it would change them uh, or, or, or influence their symptom. Some people expect that they'll take an antidepressant and all of a sudden everything's better. Their behaviors mm -hmm. are better, they interact with people better, they, everything's better. But it's not doesn't ever really work out that simply. Uh, the, when you start interacting with the serotonin sy system, there's particular things that can happen downstream. And if you work with that, you can get a lot of benefit. If you work against it, you don't do the therapy side of it, you don't exercise, you still don't eat the right kinds of foods, you can still end up right back in the same way you were. You can still be just as depressed or even more so. Hmm. So uh, often when the power of actually the imaging is that I'll show someone, okay, here's where the antidepressant, the SSRI is supposed to work, but hey, look at these other areas. Uh, the antidepressant doesn't work there. So I need you to do these other things for this other area. When they get that, they understand that, oh, that's why I didn't feel like it fixed everything. Okay, maybe this is why I still should take this, maybe, or, uh, and, and, or maybe these other areas were actually the bigger problem. Maybe mm -hmm. I should have focused on that. So if, if I'm an athlete out there and I mm -hmm. have a, a tangential or even involved with a sports-related concussion, it seems as though 90% of the people I'm being referred to or talking to, I'm at a disadvantage because I'm not getting a spec image. Mm -hmm. um, what do you say to those folks? The same thing you just said to them. You just ask, don't be shy. you got to ask about with your professional person about uh, the treatment for the best three-pound organ in your body, right? Yeah. So, you, you, you know, this is the hard piece here, but, you know, there's an element of you have to advocate for yourself, yeah. but obviously, as we know, if you're already feeling ill for, for whatever reason, because you're dealing with a concussion or post-concussive symptoms and it's additive and it's impacting how you think, it can make it sometimes difficult to do this extra bit it's, of research. And, and if you get a concussion, and share with me I'm right or wrong, if you mm -hmm. get a concussion, there's many regions to your brain. At least you can see through a spec image what what part of the brain is being most affected as opposed to saying it's my entire brain. Exactly, exactly. So there are many different regions of the brain, and it's actually, again, one of the reasons why we do spec. There's so many things that can come into um, to impact how you respond to whatever treatment option you may have read about or thought about or even the standard treatment option, which is often just rest. Mm -hmm. um, some brains aren't just going to get better just from rest. Mm -hmm. If you're eating the wrong things, it's not going to help you get better. If there's an inflammatory pattern, if you already had anxiety or depression or such, yeah, that will impact how your pace of getting well. Um, even the medicines you choose. I've seen some people, you know, they say, well, weed helps me. Weed helps me really a lot get better and such, and I feel better. And it will help in particular ways, but then it will hurt in particular ways. 
and me being able to show them that on a scan and be like, look, this is the part that it makes you feel better, mm. but here are the parts that it potentially wow. negatively influences. Powerful. That that is powerful. That's extremely powerful, and then they can make more inf- better informed decisions about whatever treatment uh, pattern they go down. And as a as a potential client of yours, I would have a buy-in if I actually see my damaged brain. I say, okay, exactly. that's what I need to treat versus exactly. assuming I'm just going to treat it with drugs I never see the brain. That's just so cool. Yeah. And let's, let's move on to the same scenario. In your work, you discuss really three areas of the brain that are shown with spec imaging. As, as you simply put it in, your, in the aiming clinics, the parts of the brain, number one, that work well, the parts of the brain that really work too hard, and the areas of the brain do not work hard enough. Keeping these three areas in mind, kind of play in words, what typically, if concussions are somewhat the typical, even though concussions are really not, but let's say a concussion athlete comes in, what happens to each one of the above areas with a sports-related concussion? And, and does that really make sense for me asking that question? That's an, that's an excellent question. And, and I think this, let me start with this. Let me really help, help, my, uh, help those our listeners understand what we're looking at with SPECT. Great. Okay, and what makes SPECT different. So SPECT scan looks at blood flow. Mm-hmm. That's actually really what it's looking at. The reason we care about blood flow is that blood flow is, is almost directly related to activity. So if there's higher blood flow, there's higher activity. If there's lower blood flow, there's lower activity. Okay. Now, we've been looking at scans for, for decades, and there's such good research even beyond what we've done as to how much activity we should expect in different parts of the brain. We also know what different parts of the brain do. So we know what different parts of the brain do. We know how much activity to expect in different parts of the brain. So then we, co- we, we compare that to whoever that individual is. Oh. And we say, okay, well, I'm seeing uh, an area of your brain here that's working exactly as the way we want it. We'll call that the working well or the healthy p- mm-hmm. part of your brain. Good. Then we may see areas of your brain that's working too hard. It's overactive. It's, there's too much activity in that particular reason, region. Just like anything else, if it's working too hard, it may lead to symptoms. Mm. A, a car engine, if it's working too hard, overheats. Yeah. It doesn't right. mean it's any better yeah. in that. Uh, it's, it's, it's more inefficient. And an area of your brain is not working hard enough. That's going to impact how you perform in things, especially imagine an area like your prefrontal cortex that helps you pay attention, plan, do life, get things done, manage your impulses, uh, pay your bills. Um, it is, if that's not working appropriately well, that's going to impact how you, how you do life. So our scan is able to help us figure out what region is causing what and then which region uh, we need to target in, in the treatment plan. So when we create treatment plans, we'll be thinking about, all right, you had a part of your brain that's already working well. These are the things I want you to do related to that. Okay, keep it working well. Great. Whatever you've already done, good job. If there's areas that aren't working well enough, then I'll say this is the areas that aren't working well. This is what correlates to your symptoms, and these are the things that we can do to manage it. And then this is helpful for me as a clinician mm-hmm. because then I can ask them in a couple of weeks later, how are we doing on that and these symptoms? Because then if they tell me, hey, I'm still struggling in this particular area, then I know which area of the brain to work on. I don't just say, well, let's try a new med. Okay, that's a very important piece. It's, it's about where, what particular point of focus do I need to be working on. Okay, sometimes it can be the, the med is right, the supplement's right, but I need to do something extra on another particular region. Let's stay on the same topic yeah. for a moment. Yeah. Because what you just said was so visibly comfortable to know I can actually look at my brain and see what's working well, working too hard, or not hard enough, or mm-hmm. vice versa, and all the above, the extremes. How long would it take underneath, let's just say, a therapy treatment plan for a clean sports-related concussion, you know, no emotional things attached and so forth, 
for I can come back and get a spec image and see that that visible blood flow is now even working better. Is it usually three months, five months, two months? What, what would it be? What would be the message? So excellent question. And this is why each person's a little different, right? Um, the people have their own particular healing pace. There's actually genetics that impact your pace of healing post-injury. Um, there's your your baseline levels of inflammation that will impact mm. your, your ability to heal and how quickly you heal. So I'll give a range on that. So if it was a clean concussion in some ways, no depression, right. no anxiety and such, assuming um, you already were eating fairly decently well and you did the appropriate things after, right? Still eating well, not just eating a whole bunch of carbs and sweets and sugars and, and comfort foods in such way that would slow you down. Um, I, I would see people improve in the order of as early as a month to as long wow. as six wow. months if there's other things on the line that are slowing the process. Now, I'll, I'll briefly touch on this, but I know we'll talk about this later. Um, Things that are underlying that can slow this process are things I already briefly mentioned. If there's mood-related stuff, if there's depression, anxiety, PTSD, it's been shown over and over and over again in studies that that will actually slow uh, healing. It's actually the number one predictor of, of post-concussive symptoms, even beyond the severity of the TBI in itself. This is amazing because I'm going to jump off our, 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 our little schedule here because i got to ask you this one, one mm -hmm. observation. Mm -hmm. A lot of the people that we have the privilege of working with at One Hit Away mm -hmm. have been cut, concussed for a long time. Mm -hmm. And they feel as though they are a victim of a concussion. Mm -hmm. And what you just said, and within a month or six months, they'll have a picture of them, of their brain and their blood flow back to somewhat normal. Mm -hmm. They can actually get rid of that stigma and they have in their own psyche about, I'm no longer concussed. Because mm -hmm. that seems to be one of the largest things we see is they always walk around saying, I'm concussed. Mm -hmm. And they never give themselves the chance to energetically say, I can get out of that now. Exactly. Unless that picture is so powerful. So exactly. this is incredible. And this is, we've had a few obviously through your work and Eamon, Dr. Eamon's work, break that barrier and move on because they actually see themselves in the healthier brain they had. Exactly. So it's fabulous. You specialize in working with children and adolescents. Is their brain ready at those ages to be subject to repetitive hits? And what's your advice to those within that age group who are involved in those types of sports that have repetitive hits? <laughs> kind of obvious. I want, we want to hear it from you. Yeah. Um, this is a big one. This is obviously a controversial one, but I think people are getting the, the idea now. Um, uh, the, the brain isn't meant to be hit the way we hit it in, in sports. I mean, even as simple as, as soccer. We, we see that uh, even in, in soccer, I'll see often a lot of uh, head injuries from people just hitting the ball. Um, it will impact how that frontal lobe works. Um, the child, for children and adolescents, well, this is actually one of my favorite groups to work with. And it's one of the reasons, obviously, I went into that, that field. But this, those stages of development are so important. Uh, your brain hasn't even finished developing. It doesn't mm -hmm. finish developing until like 25 to 28, depending if you're a man or a woman. Um, I, I give the example. It's like you're learning to fly a plane while you're, you're already in the air, and we're still finishing building the plane. Doesn't sound very comfortable. No, that's, that's life mm -hmm. in many ways. Mm -hmm. That's life for children and adolescents, mm -hmm. right? Um, and in the context of this, if you're playing a sport or you're exposing your brain to something that can impact its development, it's extremely dangerous. So not only, this is as bad as abusing a drug, mm. 
Okay, so just uh, I need us to kind of put that in, in, in reference there. It's as bad in many ways as, as abusing the drug. If you're hitting your head quite a bit as a, as an, a child and adolescent as in, before your brain is even fully developed, it impacts how that brain is going to develop. Okay, and the brain may not be able to hit its full potential capacity because of the injuries and this you've sustained over that time. To be the same thing as if you were smoking a bunch of weed during that time, or using uh, meth, or using some other drug. Obviously, it might not be as bad as using meth. Please don't do any of those. Uh, but it it continuing to hit your head at that age is, is terrible. Our, our brains, even the necks of kids can't handle that. The the neck is a way for almost to diffuse some of that force that right, comes through. Right. You have a weakened neck. The risk for concussions is actually higher. You know, y your work, I was reading about some of the specialties that you really hone in on, and this was fabulous because I never thought about this. This is so true. With adolescence, discuss for a moment the importance uh, in reality of the development of what we call identity in today's society of which you advocate, make sure their identity is in, in place at that age and how a concussion may sidetrack the development of that identity so, for, for young children. So it's a great question. So during this period of development, and, and I'll just say anywhere from like 12 to 18, even 18 to mid 20s, um, you're trying to get a sense of who you're gonna be in the world. Okay, how are you gonna relate to the world? Um, this is huge, this is so impactful and important. Um, it's based on some initial stages of development that you're trying to initially start to figure out what you're good at, what your parents tell you you're good at, what your teachers tell you you're good at, what your friends tell you you're good at. And then you start trying out different versions of self in some ways. You, you get mentors, potentially. This is the best way. You get a mentor. You get a vision of yourself in the future, and then you start working towards that. You may, have, you may end up going a slightly different way, but a, 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 an adolescent who eventually achieves often has a vision of themselves, and they move towards that. So keep that in mind as you mm -hmm. raise your kids. What vision of themselves do they have? Um, this piece here, if a kid gets injured for whatever reason, um, and it impacts how their brain develops, mm. or it impacts how they see themselves or their capabilities. Mm. This can this can be huge. It can it can often get kids to diverge from what they potentially could do, because now they create this model, they create this image that may be false in their mind of what they're capable of, and they create a ceiling in their mind. Mm. And this is why I think it's so important not only for substance use, or even we could have a whole separate discussion and podcast on like cannabis or marijuana at a young age and the negatives that that can, that can lead to, um, but definitely head injuries. It can impact that identity, that sense of self. They don't learn to fly, fly their plane as well, basically. Right, right, right. So that's the appropriate word, I think, is you can get sidetracked. Mm -hmm. It's dangerous if you don't get proper therapy and proper support around you during that therapy mm -hmm. and making sure that your identity is intact, right? Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. identity can fly away, specifically with the social constraints, I mean, social pressures these children and these adolescents feel today. They've become very susceptible, per se. Most I think a, a great way to think for our, our listeners is that when you do get a concussion, in an adolescent or child, you become very vulnerable to society to societal norms, mm -hmm. whether they're right or wrong or indifferent. It just becomes very vulnerable. So let's be very careful. Mm -hmm. Great mm -hmm. topic. Um, okay, I'm going to try to throw one up, lob one up to you. Can you name three to five types of common symptoms you see from sports-related concussions, and and typically how you rehabilitate p patients from them? So often, by the time a, a, a patient comes to see us here, okay. 
um, they've probably failed the the standard of care, which is kind of that rest model in some ways. Right. Basically, that's right. what it comes down to. Just don't do as much stuff. Sit in a dark room. Um, and if they fail that standard of care, it basically means that they are not at their baseline again, and or they're not they're having challenges meeting their baseline. And that baseline often is how well are they paying attention? How well are they processing things? It's taking them longer to come mm-hmm. up with answers and such. Their memory isn't quite the same. Uh, they're more tired. They get headaches. Um, their mood. The mood is usually the one people may notice the most because they may get a little more depressed, a little more anxious. They're more irritable with family members, and that's usually what probably gets them to come in because <laughs> right. family gets tired so of that. So true. So we see a lot of mood-related symptoms. Um, those are big ones that come in, and we see a lot of cognitive-related symptoms. And then strategies for rehabilitation is, is they're varied, mm. supremely varied. Mm. I'll give you just a, sh- a short um, spheres that we work with sure. here. And and this actually is in many ways what we think about for any client who comes in, whether they have a head injury or not. We always work in this biopsychosocial, spiritual, these spheres. The biological piece of it is that there's a biological insult here. There was something that actually happened to the brain that hurt it. So we actually have to do the process of working to manage that. Um, there, there may be things that we need to do on changing the diet. There's things nutritionally that you eat, uh, and we'll talk about this a little bit more later, that that can impact or slow your healing, hmm. okay? There are things nutritionally that if you're not providing for your body, like the amino acids and the proteins and the healthy fats, these are awesome fuels for the brain. If you're not providing that, you slow your ability of your brain to be able to pay attention to process uh, anyways. So this is stuff that you may have got away with in the past, eating some junky food, all this stuff. Um, and not getting the nutrients you need. But when you've had a head injury, your, your brain is like, no, I need those things now. Okay. Um, the other big one, obviously, is, is mood-related stuff that can fall under um, on the, the biological side. Um, when a brain is injured, it impacts its own ability to actually be able to regulate itself. Mm. So this is why people get more upset. That's why they get more anxious. And they're like, I didn't used to get like this. I, I, right. I get these th- thoughts stuck in my head, and I can't quite manage yeah. it as, as much, right? And there's supplements to, for doing this. This is where we talk about exercise so much. It's, it's one of, a great way for detoxification. It's a great way for uh, soothing the system. It actually it activates genes that help you heal. So this is why you can't just sit in a room and wait for all the symptoms to go away. There's an element of rest initially because you don't want to make things worse. Mm-hmm. But there's definitely an element of getting increasing activity slowly um, over time to help actually speed the recovery. Um, I, and I mentioned already the, the, the spheres, right? So there's a psychological piece. How is this individual starting to think about themselves in, right. in relation to this? Um, I need to make sure that they're not seeing themselves as broken or broken forever. This is an element, this is an illness, this is something. Let's look at the, the injury on the scan so you recognize what it is. Um, and let's target and, and work against that injury. It's not you. It's not you forever. Um, there's the, the, the social piece. How are family re- reacting to it? How are they supporting you? They can't see this injury before SPECT, but now they can see it. Hopefully they can. it galvanizes them to improve their supports for you, and they recognize that you're not just being lazy. Okay. And and we say spiritual here, but it's just a sense of meaning, your sense of value, what what were uh, why are you even trying to get better right right that's good sometimes having that sense of meaning sure. is another thing that can push you through so remind us of the four spheres again yeah so there's a biological right there's a psychological and the social 
and the spiritual. And the spiritual, again, is that sense of meaning. Perfect. Um, uh, Speaking of meaning, Mm -hmm. what's the meaning in your mind of Mm sub-concussions? This is the quiet, this is the quiet, prolific danger out there. I played, Mm -hmm. you know, we all played sports and I've had friends. I never got a concussion playing football in college. And they don't understand that they've subconcussions are more damaging than the concussion itself. Mm-hmm. Tell us what you know about subconcussions and what you've learned and your experience of working with people and athletes. Um, subconcussions are just as important, or even more so than than the the frank big concussions. The big concussions are the one everybody notices. Okay, right. but the subconcussions in some ways are even more dangerous, just because sometimes you don't notice that you injured yourself. And it's this repetitive, it's almost like repetitive motion injuries from like people who type or something at a, on a keyboard the wrong way and they, they'll get carpal tunnel or right. something. It Im- impacts how the, the, the body's working, for that example, but it impacts how the brain is working and it sneaks up on you. All of a sudden, uh, a few months later, a few years later, you're, you're not thinking as clearly, you're not managing your mood as clearly, and you don't know why. Uh, the scans will still show this. So that's the, one of the favorite things about SPECT imaging. Yes. It will still show the functional changes. That's the big thing about SPECT. So even for these subconcussions, you can see this over time that there's an additive piece to this of if you're hitting your head a bunch, it impacts the function of your brain. And it's going to impact the function of your brain. And one of the things we've seen at the Amen Clinics, it actually ages your brain quicker. We don't want that. Wow. Aging the brain. Yeah. You mean the brain can get older than my body? In many ways, okay. in many ways, okay. and you don't want that. That's not what. Well, yeah, it's not the direction you want to that's, go. That's not the direction you right. want to go. And there's things that you can help that you can do if you're proactive right. and to to manage it. That's just I, this. I mean, what you guys do here is fascinating, and, and your comments are just so so enlightening. Okay, uh, tell me simply, what do you find most challenging, if it's simple, about treating patients with sports-related concussions? What's what's the challenging element or two that working with them as a group? Uh, the initial piece is the fact that it's an invisible injury. Ah. Like I can't even imagine if we didn't have spec trying to to work with the families and work with the individual. Um, it's it imp- given that it's so prolific and 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 how it can impact so many spheres of your life. So the reason I mentioned the four spheres before yeah. is because it can impact all those spheres. Yeah. Absolutely. Right, it, it challenges what you believe. It challenges your view of yourself. It challenges your relationships. People question you and go, "Why aren't you better already?" And then you start to question yourself and go, "Why aren't I better already?" But why isn't my brain working as well? You almost lose that trust in in your own brain. So the 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 biggest piece is that clients almost lose that trust in themselves, in that and that what they're capable of. Um, it's it's different than like if someone uh, uh, broke their leg in some ways. They, they they may feel bad about breaking the leg. They may lose a little bit of confidence in that leg at some point and like, oh, is it going to hold up? But when you don't know what's going on with your brain, yeah. it impacts your general level of confidence. It's it's you. It's your brain. Um, so the big piece here that I, I often find is, is getting them from that point of seeing the injury, getting family on board that they understand what the injury is, and then getting everybody on board to do all the different steps to get them well. So they don't lose trust of themselves. Exactly. Uh, that's, 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 that's key. Um, so are you, this is something that we, it's still hotly debated out there, whether it's any professional organization and so forth in the media. Um, but 
left untreated sports-related brain injuries. Um, high correlation to neurological disorders that we're seeing right now that are misdiagnosed in, in terms of their origination and what they have. I mean, whether it's, give us some neurological disorders you would presume happens if untreated brain sports-related concussions occur that you've seen. Well, well, the the biggest one, so I'll just start with the biggest one, okay? So if you have multiple hits to the head, right. I already said one thing, it ages your brain quicker, right? So if it ages your brain quicker, what do we know tends to happen to old brains? Dementias, mm. right? So often what we'll see would be dementia or dementia-like symptoms showing up a lot earlier for people um, when they've had numerous head injuries, okay? Now, there's other things that can, the, the problem with head injuries is that they worsen whatever baseline risk you had. Mm. So what I mean by baseline risk is genetic risk. So let's say you have a particular gene, APOE. That's a gene that can increase your risk for Alzheimer's, okay? If you have a particular variant of it, it can increase your risk for Alzheimer's. But they also found that if you have this particular variant and you, you have head injuries, it further increases your risk for dementia. So it's actually even worse than some at, uh, at baseline if they're taking hits. So if you have this, took less hits than someone else who took more hits but didn't have this genetic variant, your risk for dementia may be even higher than them. Um, there's other things that can also, uh, gene risk that can also impact um, how you recover and such. But then there are other conditions. Let's say you had baseline ADD or ADHD. You mm -hmm. were able to find ways in the past to to kind of manage it, you were smart enough, you could kind of work your way around it, you took notes, you, you worked in an industry that was really engaging or interesting, but you take a hit to the head, your ADD symptoms become more challenging. Your, your past little minor depression or dysthymia you would have from time to time, you would never even call a depression, all of a sudden becomes more noticeable. Um, the anxiety, um, the trauma you went through that, that someone said may have been PTSD but wasn't so bad and, and then all of a sudden now you can't, can't deal with it. All those thoughts and emotions come back and you can't regulate or manage it as well. So not, it, 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 simply put, right. it ages yeah. your brain yeah, right. and it increases your risk for things like dementia and it, it unfortunately can bring up any underlying risk factors that you already had. And I'll interpret that it kind of fuels the fire that's already underway. Correct. I mean, it just fuels it up. Correct. That's, that's very dangerous. So, please, we got to get these wonderful brains treated properly. Mm -hmm. Thanks to people like yourself, that happens. You've talked about the emotional elements quite a bit, so we don't need to. I don't think get back into that a bit. But I, I, unless you had some other comment you want to make on the emotional dynamics in terms of treating a, a sports-related concussion, anything that we didn't hit that you wanted to mention? The the big one, and you already mentioned this actually too, is that if you're not treating the emotional element, right. and some people miss out on this, they focus on the head injury only. Mm -hmm. They say all my symptoms are because of the head injury, the head injury, the head injury, and they don't want to do the other pieces to manage the emotional toll that it's taken. It slows, it slows recovery. This is repeated in multiple is studies. because they're not stable? They're not in a stable state where they can actually take care of themselves? The emotion kind of gets in the way? That's one element of it. Yeah. So there, there's a complex piece to it. One, if your brain just is not managing its resources appropriately, right. if it's putting too much activity into a limbic or emotional brain, mm. and it's not allowing you to spare some of those resources for your thinking brain, that cognitive brain, you're gonna notice more cognitive symptoms. So you're gonna have more persisting cognitive symptoms when your emotional brain is stealing some of your juice, basically. So imagine that emotional brain sometimes can help some people tolerate 
head injuries better than others whose their head injury was is there it's 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 noticeable on the scan but maybe isn't as severe technically as right. somebody else that's so so dynamic for people who realize that there's two parts to this mm -hmm. obviously the physical and the emotional sometimes they don't have the bandwidth to cover both mm -hmm. this is why we're here talking to experts like yourself um, so fast forward for those who are back into a full enjoyment of life after great therapy and treatment um, what's your advice for them to keep their brain healthy you have three or five things that you talk about what would it be that you have a mantra about with your your wonderful patients so if you as if anybody has gone through the challenge of a concussion I think they recognize how valuable their brain is um, protect your brain at all costs Okay, protect your brain at all costs. And I think at, at that point when you've gone through something like this and recovered, you, you learn that. But it's, it's more than just wearing a helmet, okay? It's more than, and, than just making sure you, you, you try not to get hit in the head. It, it's, it's what we call uh, brain envy in some ways, um, almost coming up with a, uh, an ideal of what your brain function is or your, your, and how that it relates to how you manage your mood, how you manage your cognition and such. And then always aiming to be there. So that means how you treat your sleep. Sleep is one of the best things in protecting your brain health. Just a baseline, simple thing like sleep. We want it to sound fancy, but it's just you get your eight hours, you're more likely to have better brain health. Mm. Um, mm. If you're constantly, chronically sacrificing your sleep for years and decades, it impacts how your, your, your brain works. If someone told you you have sleep apnea and you're not treating it, it's going to impact how your brain works, especially if you have a head injury. If you don't exercise, repeatedly in studies, one of the best things for reducing your risk for, for dementia is exercise. Sleep and exercise, they're so simple and people tell you over and over again, but what do we do? We find excuses not to do it. Um, and then low inflammatory diet, so not doing the standard American diet, right? So you're doing the green leafy vegetables, you're doing the whole grains that you can tolerate um, if you can, and and you're getting those lean proteins, you're getting the omega-3 fatty acids, you're getting your vitamin D, you're taking care of your gut health, and if a probiotic is needed, then using a probiotic um, or using natural probiotics. Um, and then if there were nutrients that were beneficial to you, taking uh, taking those. Some you don't have to take forever, but there are some that are important that you, you, you take, like the ones I already mentioned. Um, and, and then even just taking care of your emotional health, as I already mentioned, uh, whether it's meditation, mentalization, um, practices like that that keep you centered. Um, that's important to keeping you healthy, not only in the moment to manage um, concussions or post-concussive symptoms, but decades later. You know, the title of this podcast is, you know, why does it matter to actually see inside the brain and understand the concussed brain while treating it? I think we nailed it. I think we did a great job with Excellent. your expertise and Excellent. your questions. Excellent. And hopefully the listeners feel the same way. Uh, this is just so enjoyable to talk to the experts such as yourselves a part of the Amen Clinics. You know, being the only nonprofit in the country dedicated to brain healing of sports-related concussions, we have so much work to do, as Dr. Daniel Amina knows. Um, and it, it's professionals such as yourself throughout the country that give us the confidence uh, to treat those who are affected by this invisible injury. Uh, and the ability to actually get their life back. So thanks to people like yourself, and more importantly, well, thanks for your time sharing it with our listeners today. Um, so for the listeners, how does everyone listening get a hold of 
Dr. Daniel Amen regarding his expertise. You can Google him, Dr. Daniel Amen. I said Dr. Amen. <laughs> Dr. Dan Amina. Uh, I apologize uh, for recent videos uh, on Google. And uh, also email him at amenclinics.com. Um, Dr. Daniel Amina is very, very approachable. He's one of the best in the business, and he's here in the Bay Area, and we're so blessed to have him a part of our, our team. Uh, thanks for your time. It was truly a classic Brainiac, what we call Brainiac discussion, and we look forward to another one with, another one with you in the near future. Excellent. Um, Thank you so much. And before we end, I just do want to share with our listeners two items, our, our website of onehitaway.org, and also our motto at One Hit Away Foundation is One Hit Away Understands Your Brain Can Change Your Game. Thanks, everybody. Have a great afternoon and great day.